Hi, I'm Gigi, and this is Driven Minds, a Type 7 podcast. The first time I met Charlotte Cardin was when I was styling an editorial for V Magazine in like 2012, 13, when I was still in the unhealthy industry of fashion. Story for another time. I'll never forget when Charlotte walked into the casting studio, aka my apartment, because budgets, and I casted her on the spot after seeing 20, 30 girls that day. She had this magnetism and charm to her that I had not seen anywhere ever before. We had the most fun shoot and we've been following each other on Instagram ever since. So I got to watch this transition she made from model to singer-songwriter. But what I didn't know is that when Charlotte and I met on this V Magazine shoot, she had already been a finalist on Le Voix, which is the French-Canadian version of The Voice. I also didn't know that modeling was a means to an end for her and that singing was her passion and end goal, which is why we are here today. Her songs have had tens of millions of views on YouTube. And this past April, she put out her long-awaited debut album called Phoenix, which hit number one in Canada or Canada. And she's about to set out on a world tour. Charlotte has gotten love from some of her heroes like Dua Lipa, who shouted her out on Instagram. And Elton John talked about how much he loved her song Main Girl on his radio show. On a side note, that is an endorsement that is comparable to my dream shout out from Dak Shepard and his co-pilot Monica Padman on their podcast, Armchair Expert. Dax, Monica, if you're listening, you guys are my Elton John of podcasting. Anyway, here it is. My Char- my Charlotte, my conversation. Where's Charlotte Cardin? Here we are. Here we are. We made it. We did make it. Are you in your recording studio right now? I am, yeah. So I wanted to um, do this from home, but somehow my downstairs neighbor decided that he was going to renovate his entire house today. So <laughs> I, like, I just like opened my computer, turned it on, and then like it was just like drilling from everywhere. It was like oh a 360 God. drill party. So I just came really quickly to the studio Aww. to set up here. Well, we really appreciate that. I do not know how you're going to deal with that going forward at your house. Maybe you have to like lay out some ground rules with him because it's been going on for a year and it's just like, it's like random moments. It's not like a constant thing. So it's just like sometimes he's like, I mean, it appears like he's bulldozing something. I don't know in the apartment, (laughs) but I am here and I'm very happy. Oh, well, we're so happy to have you. And um, thank you. Do you remember the first time that we met? I do. That It was at that uh, V Magazine shoot, right? Yes. In New yes. York. Oh, but we met, at, we met at your apartment before. We had a little yes. fitting. I remember that. Yes. Um, I, yes, I remember our, our first uh, encounter for sure. Yeah, I had to use my apartment to cast because the photographer and I lost our studio last minute. So I was just like, all right, we'll just do it for my apartment. I think I saw 20 girls that day. You were the last one. And the moment you walked in, him and I look at each other and we're like, her. You just had this, this <laughs> magnetism to you. Oh, um, thank you, you so did. much. That's crazy. And I, I remember it was late. Like it was like it was a few months of my life modeling, you know, in, in New York and in Paris. And it was my my first time kind of like living on my own outside of Montreal. And it just, it seems like a totally, completely different life, but it's also like a not very happy part of my life. And I remember mm-hmm. that meeting you was kind of this, like, you were one of the very few people that I met on this trip where I was like, okay, this is like someone I can trust. Like, this is a safe space. Aww. And I really still remember that to that day because I didn't meet a lot of people I felt like I could trust um, in those mm-hmm. years. And, and you were definitely one of them. And I find that so wonderful that we're still like talking and, and we're both living in different, you know, in different know. countries and you're on a different <laughs> continent now. And 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 we, we meet again in a totally different different context. And I find that so lovely about like traveling and and meeting wonderful people. 
Oh, that means so much. And <laughs> I, I really felt the same way about you. I was just, I, I wanted to be friends with you at the time, but I was like, wait, that's so unprofessional. But I was like, I also, this girl is so cool. And you were like, you were 18 at the time or something, no? Or how old were yeah, you? Yeah, I was 18 or 19. Um, and uh, I had started modeling when I was 15 in Montreal, very locally <laughs> and doing, you know, kind of like uh, more commercial things. And at one point I uh, signed with a New York agency and uh, and and an international agency. I signed with Elite <laughs> Worldwide. Um, and so they had me traveling for about five or six months, but that was the only time... I ever traveled for modeling. It was the first and last time I ever mm. did it. I didn't like my experience. It was just full of so many like unhealthy things that I just didn't want to have to deal with ever again. But I also got to meet really special people on that trip. And, and a few um, people that I met are still very close friends. So it's it's, you know, every time there's something challenging that happens. You also, I guess, you know, take out great things out of it and and you're obviously yeah. one of them. <laughs> was modeling something that you fell into or was it intentional and that you always wondered what it would be like? Um, when I was 15, I, I, I was curious about it. I had a few friends um, that were modeling locally uh, mm-hmm. and were doing, you know, were doing good and, and, and were earning a lot of money. And I was like, that's, that sounds like something that could be really fun. And, and once you start traveling and meeting new people, mm-hmm. and it was something that I definitely like romanticized in my head. Mm-hmm. Like it, it seemed like such a cool, like glamorous thing to try. And so I just went to a Montreal agency and and signed up and I was like, I'd like to be a part of the agency. And they ended up signing me that day. And it was kind of a obviously like a very new thing I knew nothing about. But I started working a little bit and making decent money. And I was like, this is nice because I'm a teenager and I don't need to work much and I don't need to, you know, either be a lifeguard or or work at a restaurant and do right. these things that, you know, would take up a lot of my time. So it was, it was nice because I could also focus on writing music in my free time, which was already a huge passion for me and something I really wanted to have time to do. So it was it was really nice for a while. But when it got a little bit more serious, which, you know, it never got that serious because it was never like an extreme goal that I had. Like I never wanted to be like a top model, like traveling the world. Mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to take out the experience out of it and see where it could take me. Um, but as soon as I started traveling, I was like, okay, this is not an industry that's for me. yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, we had uh, we had Tyra Banks on the show and some of her stories about brands and casting directors rejecting her because she wasn't sample size and the things they'd say to her was truly atrocious. Atrocious. You know? Did you experience anything like that or? Absolutely. Like, I feel like I have so many of those stories. Um, so I have this one story that I think about sometimes where I'm like, I can't believe this even happened to me. I was 18. I was in Paris at a casting um, and it was for a shoe brand, just so that you understand the, con- the the context because it has nothing to do with what they had me do. I, it was a shoe brand, like a sneaker brand. And they had me go to the casting and they asked me to get undressed in front of, um, so it was two men, like older men and one woman, she must have been like around 50. Um, They were all like obviously much older than I was. And they asked me to get undressed to just strip down to my G-string. And they wanted to look at my body and took photos of my body. And I was like, well, this is a, this is a shoe brand, but I mean, whatever, like I've never been in this situation before. So I did it. Um, And I was just like, you know, completely naked except for, you know, my underwear and, 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 and I was, topless in front of people I had never met before and they were taking Polaroids of me and they looked at me and they said yeah it's not gonna work you're large and I was there like just like completely in the most vulnerable position I have I had ever been in my life I was like this is not possible you're telling me that I'm large and like at that point I was 5'10 and I weighed like 110 pounds. Like I was not large. And I was like, okay, like this is just, so I was like, okay, thank you. And I guess even like on the moment, on the, at that specific moment, I didn't even realize it was that weird because I had been in like Mm. similar situations in the weeks before. And I remember just thinking, 
I don't even want to be here. Like, I don't even want to model for a living. Like, I'm doing this for fun and I'm doing this to travel and meet people. And I find myself being humiliated every single day and reduced to my appearance, which obviously wasn't what anyone was looking for at the mm-hmm. moment at that time. And, 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 and that was fine. But I was like, I'm, I feel like I have so much to offer mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't have anything to do with what I look like. And I don't want to be in this position. And I remember just walking out of that casting and, and crying. And I was just, and I just called my parents and I was like, okay, this is not happening. Like I'm coming home very soon. And a few weeks later I was back home and I never modeled again. I was like, this is not a wow. position anyone should be in. And I certainly don't want to be in it. Was, I mean, first of all, that story is appalling. And I have, uh, I have many friends who model and have modeled and they have stories that are so similar to yours. It doesn't matter how successful you are, how far you climb. It is so toxic to be in this industry. And I think, I mean, I'm sure you have friends that have faced this as well, but it's wild how widespread it is. And I know people are slowly coming out about it, but I mean, the idea that these things are said to anyone, let alone someone who is a teenager, is absolutely batshit crazy to me. It's completely insane. And, And, you know, I have so many friends that struggled with eating disorders around me. Mm. And I was so lucky to not fall into those unhealthy patterns. Like I remember on that trip, that only trip, that modeling trip that I took, which which was like a six months of me living abroad, but it was the only time I ever did it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like diets and, and, and going to the gym every day. That was something that my agents told me I had to do all the time. And, and I remember consciously like not wanting to do that because I was like, I know that if I start dieting and doing all these things, it's going to fuck me up so bad. And I was so lucky to grow up in a family that always made me feel, you know, like I mattered for really important things that had nothing Mm -hmm. to do with what I looked like. Um, And so I grew up in a very safe space where my family kind of, and, and, and my friends made me feel secure about myself, but I have never been so insecure about myself than Mm. at that time. And I remember being at a casting with a girl who fainted while tying her shoes and she was, she looked like a skeleton. Like she was so thin. It was like the saddest thing ever. And she tied her shoes and she fell on the floor and everyone was like, oh, like what's going on? And I was like, are you fucking serious? Like, don't you see what's going on? Like, I can't even believe she was booked for things. Like, it's just so unhealthy. And anyways, it's, it's, it's really nice to see that now, like, I guess like body positivity movements are starting to, you know, be a lot more widespread and and people are talking about that and raising flags on things that are Mm -hmm. unhealthy in the industry. So that's really nice. But that was like maybe eight or nine years ago. And Mm -hmm. and anyways, I'm just so happy I stepped away from that industry because because learning to like rebuild my self-esteem after that took a minute. And, And I'm still like working on things like still some insecurities that I have to this day when I look in the mirror come from that time. Really? Things that I had never noticed about myself that were just like constantly told to me when I was at castings and stuff. And I was like, oh, like, do I have a big nose? Do I have this? Do I have wide hips? Is that true? Like, is that actually something? And when you hear it all the time, it kind of becomes something that you're obviously self-conscious about. And I'm still like struggling with those things to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I stopped modeling like seven years ago. So I think it's, yeah, something that um, young people have to be cautious about when they, you know, start idolizing that industry and thinking of like how glamorous and fun it looks mm-hmm. like. But I mean, I was so unhappy. Like I had very, very dark thoughts. And I was like, okay, like, why am I even doing this? This is not even something I actually want to do. It's not my end goal. Right. It's something that's supposed to be fun. And it's right. really getting unhealthy. Did Lavoie happen? Because that was your break to some extent, right? So Lavoie is the equivalent is the voice, but it's the mm-hmm. the Quebecois, French Canadian version of, of the voice. Um, and when I was 18, I ended up um I didn't even know what the voice was. Like I had I mean, I had seen like a few 
I guess, snippets of it, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know the concept. Um, and I also didn't know we were going to have it here in Montreal. Uh, and a friend of mine was like, you should audition. Like, you've been writing your songs and working on your music. And I had never auditioned for anything. Um, and my friend was like, it was almost like a challenge. He was just like, you should go because, like, it's just, a, it's nice to challenge yourself to do new things. And, and you've never auditioned for anything. So it's going to be a cool experience even just to, like, show your music to someone. And I was like, oh, okay, like, I'll do it. And and I'm going to push myself to do something new. But I had, I didn't even know, like, what that involved if ever I made it to the thing. I was just like, okay, this is like an audition. It's like a casting. Like, okay, let's try doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to this like hotel in Montreal where where they're having the, the auditions and I played a Lana Del Rey song in front of like five judges, I guess. Which but that one? wasn't even... the. I sang Blue Jeans by oh. Lana Del Rey. Yeah. Oh, a classic. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, such a classic. At that point, that wasn't like filmed. That was just like the first, I guess, round of auditions. And two months later, I got a call from the production and they were like, okay, like you'll be doing your blind audition in like three days. And I was like, what? What is this? And, Wait, and it just, question. I guess. When you left the Blue Jeans initial interview... Did you walk out and feel that you nailed it? Or were you like, oh, I'll never hear from them again? No, I I was sure I would <laughs> never hear again from them again. Uh, they like asked me a few questions after the song. So I was like, oh, I think they thought it was like cute, I guess. And just like, they, they just asked me a few things. And I was like, okay, like that was nice. I was like, I was proud of myself for auditioning. I was like, okay. Because I, I wasn't used to showing my music to many people. I had done a few talent shows at school and that was kind of like the Aww. biggest break I had had so <laughs> that far. Like I was like, okay. So it counts. I guess it counts. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was the highlight of my life back then. <laughs> so, Same. <laughs> talent shows were so great. But um, I had a hula was, hoop routine. Ooh. Oh, that <laughs> must have been good. Did you have I more know. than one hoop? Was it like... Uh, oh, I was a single hoop girl. I was single, a single hoop. Okay. Yeah, that was, the, that was the extent of my hula hoop career. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see a video of yeah, that. Oh, my God. <laughs> that one is hidden in the the, the so wasteland cute. of the skeleton closet. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. But yeah, so I was just like happy I auditioned. And I was like, okay, like, the, you know, this... I. I did this thing and but when I heard back I was 100% surprised because I was like and especially that it was so soon after they were like in three days you're having your blind audition and one thing led to the other and every step of the way I was so surprised that I was making it further in the competition because I was with people that had been singing their whole mm. lives like I was with professional singers but that, you had that, too like if you think about it you started singing when you you know what I mean that's true but not like professionally like it's like weird to understand that you're I guess you're like amateur passion is like something that actually people are into and want to hear more about. And 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 so it was like me realizing that every step of the way. And I was like, this is so wonderful. Like I didn't think people wanted to hear what I had to say or, you know, so it's it's cool to understand that you actually might have an audience for the one thing that, that you're the most passionate about, but you don't, you know, realize that there's a, a an audience for it really. Then when did you say, I'm done with modeling. I'm focusing on music. When did that big switch happen? So that happened. uh, So as soon as as I got back from that trip, really, I went to my agency in Montreal and I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just really affecting my whole life and my self-esteem. And yeah, I quit. And I, you know, I was like crossing my fingers for my music to do well, but I was like, we'll see. And at least I'll be doing something that I'm happy with and that Mm -hmm. makes me feel good about myself. So when you're playing South By and all these huge festivals, you're playing in front of thousands of people performing your own songs. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get performance anxiety? Because I I am so Mm -hmm. fascinated by this topic because I think all performers that perform in front of more than two people are actual superheroes. I did this, my first live recording of the podcast last month. And Charlotte, (laughs) I was shitting myself. I was seriously jumping out of my skin. You could hear the discernible shakiness and nervousness in my voice. Even hearing myself back, I'm like, oh my God, I have to... 
I have to, you know, address the fact that I'm so nervous because it's so obvious. <laughs> do you lose your shit or have you ever lost your shit? Or are you just, do you just have nerves of steel? I mean, I've always enjoyed performing. So I've, I don't really get that nervous before um, performing. Um, but but I get, you know, it's kind of the, this good um, excitement. I'm uh-huh. excited. And I've been, I've definitely like had you know, a few catastrophes happen because I was too nervous. And, you know, that always happens in really? certain moments. Like what? Like, so the one thing I always think about is, so there's this um, singer-songwriter in Quebec. His name is Daniel Belanger, and he's like my idol ever since I was a kid. Like, I would listen to his music in the car with my parents. I grew up, he's a fantastic songwriter. His songs are in French. He is, you know, he writes beautifully. And I've always admired him so much. And he has his, you know, his own style. He's he's a Quebec icon, really. Mm-hmm. And, and okay, I have to look him up. He's really good. I'll send you some of his music. It's really mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, and a few years ago, I invited him to come sing with me at a show in a church uh, in my, in you know just outside of Montreal. And it was a beautiful show, super like intimate, but still like a lot of people. It was a really beautiful church, and it was like this wonderful moment. We worked on the show for a long time, and it was kind of this really special moment. And he agreed to come sing with me, so I was already like, okay, like I was losing my <laughs> shit just knowing I was going to sing with. Like, You're peaking. You're peaking. I'm peak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am peaking. And I was like, you know, this is like my idol, really. Yeah. Like, And I've admired him for so long. And we decided to sing two of his songs that I have known forever. Like, I know every single words of the song and, you know. And so, but once we got on stage and started singing, I completely blanked out. And I oh couldn't remember one single word. I couldn't remember, like, the melody. I just, like... I literally hummed for like two minutes and he was so chill about it. He just, we had split like the song in like a few different, like he would do a verse. I would, and he just ended up like singing the entire thing. And I was kind of doing like bag vocals. So the crowd didn't really notice. It just looked like I was like accompanying him. But yeah, I cried so hard after the show. But he was so chill about it. He was like, no, like I barely noticed, like you killed it. And I was just like, oh my God, I felt, but that, that to me was like, like a real that and it was the first time it ever happened to me to blank out completely uh and that was a scary thing because I've always felt like so confident I was like no like I never like blank mm. out I just know how to do this shit and as soon as I was like completely like fucking like starstruck by someone I completely <laughs> blanked out and I was like no I can't believe I'm this person that no this shit happens to no seriously <laughs> so that's the exact same thing that happens to me but once that happens to you, or at least for me, the first time that that happened to me, it happened to me once on a podcast, like my, this podcast. <laughs> and then one time when I was playing the piano, because I used to be a little concert pianist of sorts. And wow. I will never forget when I was 14 years old, and I went on stage and I knew it was the third movement of the uh, Moonlight Sonata. I knew it like the back of my, I mean, I didn't even need sheet music. Yeah. I could not play one chord. And I, I had the music in front oh of me. I played it ad nauseum for a year and I couldn't press anything. That like, is, that's so scary. That, it was so scary. and But that stayed with me because I was like, oh, like if it happened once, it can happen again. It so can happen how, again, yeah. How did you take that experience, put it behind you, separate it from your career going forward and kind of compartmentalize it because that's what I couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, it's a scary thing. I try not to think about it. It hasn't Uh really happened since. It happened a few times, but I guess the one thing that kind of made me feel better about it is that not that many people noticed. And Mm. I think even if they did— The humming saved you. The humming. (laughs) It's the humming. I always go back to humming. (laughs) So if you guys hear me humming for an entire show, you know what— I'm blacking out. I'm panicking. Um, but I also think like people, the one thing that I noticed that really does make me feel better is that a lot of times when I fuck up on stage, Mm -hmm. 
people actually like enjoy those moments. And I know mm. that as yes, like, you're human, who, it makes you human. You're human. And, and, and I love going to concerts and, and experiencing little moments like that. Like as Same. when I'm a part of the audience and I'm like, oh, like this is fun. Like we got mm. to see something that's special and, and real, you know, even though the artist is probably kicking themselves as I did a few times, but it's like, you just feel like, you know, that's life and that happens mm-hmm. and you'll always get like some little technical fuck-ups and you can forget a few lyrics. And I feel like understanding that the the audience doesn't really care or like mm-hmm. even maybe enjoys it a little bit kind of makes it, it all better. It. We and, love it. Yeah. More. <laughs> More coming. <laughs> More of that. <laughs> Although, no, it's too stressful. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> no, but yes, you know, it's it's been, yeah, it's good to remember that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so ever since that you kind of learned to just throw caution to the wind and get your bum out there and if it happens it happens and you know you'll get through it kind of vibes. <laughs> yeah, I guess I mean the one thing that I did learn to do though that really helps is that these things only happen to me when I have integrated a song so well, when I know it so well that I don't really think about it anymore. And that's oh the tricky God. part is that... It's like an iPhone screen saver. Like you don't know what photo your iPhone is on the background of your iPhone because you see it so much. Isn't you see like it. That? That's exactly how it feels. <laughs> and then so sometimes when you're nervous and when I'm, you know, when I'm on stage and like it's happening and I'm like, oh my God, like I see my hands on the keyboard and I'm like, I don't even know what to play because it always comes so automatically. Mm-hmm. And that has happened a few times. And so that's why the trick I guess I developed is that before shows, I think about the songs that I have been performing for the longest and, and the ones that I know the mm-hmm. the most. And mm-hmm. I kind of th- really think about the chords and, and I have a little app on my iPhone that's called Tiny Piano. And sometimes I just go over the chords to just remember and, and freshen up my memory, even though like it's it's like body memory at this point, but sometimes I need to like remember intellectually what I'm performing because, right. and that's kind of, that's been a helpful trick. <laughs> totally. Reminds me of driving in LA where I would all of a sudden, I'd be driving for 30 minutes and I would arrive at my destination and not know how I got there. Like I didn't remember yeah, the last 30 just, minutes driving. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait, how am I, how, how, did, how am I here? Who am I? How did I arrive? Were there traffic lights? You know? <laughs> Are you from LA? Did you grow up in LA? No, I was born in LA and then I okay. moved to New York when I was five or so and then moved to Berlin four years ago. Nice. And how are you enjoying Berlin? I know we've never like really talked about, I know this is not the subject of the the podcast, but (laughs) forgiven. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's, you know, I always say that it's a city that you can be whoever, whatever, Mm. whenever. And not only are you not judged, you are either totally ignored or celebrated. So it's- That's wonderful. Yeah. It really- it really is. I saw you have a Berlin show coming up here. I'm I do. I'm 100% coming. I was absolutely stalking Yay. your tour schedule. And I'm like, when do I get FaceTime with her? Yay. <laughs> I mean, I'll hook you up. I'll give you some tickets. I would oh love God, for you yes. to come. I Playing in Berlin is so much fun. We've had amazing shows in Berlin in the past. Like crazy crowds. Oh, we're a fun crowd. We're a really fun crowd. crowd. We might not be sober, but we're fun. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that makes it even more fun. It's just, yeah, no, we love playing in in Germany. We've had amazing shows in Berlin and Hamburg. And yeah, we're just excited to come back. We have a nice tour in Europe coming up in April. So I hope we'll get to see each other in person at that moment. April 2022. Yes. It's going to be fun. Speaking of, you just released your first album in April, right? Yes. yes. And how long were you working on Phoenix? So I worked on my debut album for four years, which is like absolutely insane. We we worked on it for three years and then the pandemic hit when we were like about to <laughs> oh, release that. it. So we were like, okay, we're just going to push back the release like for seven or eight months. And so we ended up releasing it um, at the end of April. So a few months ago. And um, it's been, it's been amazing. It's been so much fun. And, and, you know, like a debut album has something so symbolic. And even though people don't um, listen to albums as much and, you know, as a whole, like people what? are, 
I mean, I, I, I love people, a click through, but I hear yeah, you. I you hear do. you. Yeah, you're like, I mean, like, you're that's rare. <laughs> a lot of yeah. people kind of like you know stream a few singles here and there, and yeah. Um, but for me, having like my debut album was something that was super symbolic and exciting, and so yeah. I think that's also why it took so long to make. Is that it was like the first real release that I was doing because the EPs I had released were, you know, were super exciting and and I and I liked them, but it was kind of like me writing a few songs and putting them together and then, oh, like, okay, we have enough songs. We'll just release an EP. But this album was right. like, okay, we're like, I want this to be a piece. I want this to make sense as a whole. I want this to have like a backstory that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's um, strong and, and that makes sense and that's very representative of my life. So I feel happy that I took this incredible amount of time to make the album because at least I'm 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 really proud of it and and it's very representative of the last few years of my life. How did you stay motivated eye on the prize for 4 years cuz that is a minute. Yeah, that is a minute. <laughs> um I mean I felt like I mean this is clearly this a question album, coming from someone who has no patience, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, and I'm a very impatient person as well, so it's kind of crazy that it even took that long to make. But at the same time, um, for this particular album, and I'm sure for the next one it'll be different, but for this one, what motivated me was um, kind of of this inner feeling that I had a lot of... um, a lot of wounds and a lot of things that I really needed to, you know, take a look at from the inside and kind of deal with. And my way of dealing with those things has always been to um, write songs. Ever since I, I, I was like a teenager and started writing a few songs here and there, like that was my way of, that was like my therapy. Mm. Um, aside from like actual therapy, which also helps me a lot. <laughs> yeah, do you do therapy? Writing song, yes. I mean, at the moment, no, but I've done therapy for with a lot of different therapists and, and it's definitely helped me in, in a lot of ways. But my like way of processing my overloads mm-hmm. of emotions and, and all of, in dealing with life in general has been by writing music for uh, a number of years now. And so I felt like I really needed to do that and kind of go back and 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 take a look at myself and and I needed to do this album for me. So I think mm-hmm. that's what that's why it's so good. By the way, the well, thank you very because much. it's for you. Yeah, but Seriously. I mean, I think it's I think it's important because especially the way that I approach music is that I I feel like I have things to share, obviously, but I also have a lot of things to deal with, like on a very personal level. And I'm kind of, I'm a complicated person and I ask myself so many questions and writing music has always helped me soothe those, you know, those bruises and all of those things. So I guess, yeah, I guess that's why it wasn't that excruciating to take all that time is because I knew I had to take that path. And I knew I had to take a look at myself for a lot of different reasons. And and that came through writing music. Mm -hmm. Mm. Is there a specific issue or topic that you felt you had to work through that came out in one song in particular that you can think of? I'm very fascinated with human relationships and not mm-hmm. only romantic relationships but family relationships and and I think the song that's the most representative or the the most symbolic on the album is the song Phoenix which mm-hmm. is the title track of the album and that song is about a relationship but it's mainly about a relationship with myself because the song is about learning to love yourself in order to be able to love someone the right way. And I think mm-hmm. that, to me, that's something that— My um, war cry, by the way. Yeah, I mean— <laughs> So true. Yeah, and it's 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 so true. And it's about, like, you can't welcome someone into your life if you're not even welcoming yourself. Like, there's mm-hmm. something that's— And it's it sounds obvious when you say it that way, but when you, like, actually live with that kind of totally. struggle every day, it's— um, and You're I taking wanted me to, to call church the- right now, so I'm- <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, but I mean, and and I decided to call the album Phoenix because for me, um, 
you know, it's it's a very symbolic, you know, we think of the phoenix and it's okay, it's life and death and all of those things. Phoenix but rises for, at the end of the, the day. The phoenix rises. But for me, it was like this whole process around the album um, came with a lot of, of um, I guess, self growth and and I felt like I grew in a lot of ways but I also felt like I had to sacrifice a lot of things um and that to me that kind of I guess um duality between something that grows and something that dies inside of you was just mm-hmm. very representative of the whole context around the album um and um yeah so I think Phoenix is definitely the the most symbolic song of the album because it also represents kind of the whole journey that came with the writing of the album right you know, it's funny because the idea of working on yourself has become such a vague, ambiguous term, I feel. Mm-hmm. What did that actually look like for you? That's a really good question. I think I wanted to um, write this album not thinking of me as the third person. Like, I wanted to write this album for me, like, first person, not trying to... Um, see myself through someone else's eyes, not trying to please anyone with the words I was going to use in my songs, Mm -hmm. with the vibe of the album, with the style of the music. And that to me has always been a struggle because I have always been good at giving people what I thought they wanted from me. Mm. Um, And I feel like sometimes you obviously... Right. And sometimes you forget about yourself in those Mm -hmm. things. And I've been that way ever since I was a kid. Like, it's not a recent thing, but obviously, like, Mm -hmm. modeling reinforced that in so many ways. And that's Well, you literally have to be someone for them. You have to dress up the way they want. You have to wear makeup they want. You are literally a prop. You are literally a prop. And, And not only that, it's like... You, there is no space for you to be yourself because it doesn't mm-hmm. matter who you truly are. So I guess the whole album and the whole idea with, you know, me wanting to go through these years of writing was also about that, about separating myself from what I thought people wanted from me mm-hmm. and doing something for me and mm-hmm. doing this kind of like therapeutical album almost and and hoping that people would relate to the songs. But really, when I was writing them... Th- that wasn't like my main goal. I was doing it because I knew I had to relate to those songs and I had Mm -hmm. to tell those stories. And so now that the album has been released and that people are telling me that they feel connected to it and they see themselves in those stories is like that much more meaningful because it comes from a really honest place. And I, that's like, I feel like for the first time I'm like releasing music that's fully, fully honest Mm. and, and people are relating more than they did to my older stuff, which is great because I feel like that's what it's all about. And so, yeah, it was it's it's it was a tough process, but it's so um, gratifying now, and it, and it's just wonderful to know that people are, yeah, that I'm sharing something that's really honest with people that can relate to it. Yeah, there's also nothing more validating than other people not only accepting, but loving work that is so personal to you, Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. I I feel that as well with the podcast. Like in the first episode, I tell my story of how I ended up here, which culminated in a mental hospital. And it was the most shameful thing about me. Mm. And when people, you know, when that episode is one of our top performers, there is definitely a source of, oh my God, you know, my story, which I was so ashamed about that I told as a form of therapy as well. Mm. There is this really nice moment. As much as I hate the fact that I need validation or want it, there is something so nice about that. You know what I mean? There's something so nice about it. And I don't even think it's that much about like validation. Like I feel like it's about feeling connected to other people and feeling like you're understood. And I feel, and you know, as someone who's, you know, I'm not a religious person. I don't belong to like a, a, like a a religious circle. I don't have Mm -hmm. like, I'm not into like clubs or things like that to, you know, like I don't collect items and I'm not, I don't do sports. I don't have this, like, I don't have like a team, but Mm -hmm. I feel like music is kind of my community. Mm. And that's Mm -hmm. where like I can share things and feel connected to other people. And I don't even mean like as an artist, I even feel like as someone who, who's a listener and who loves music. And that's kind of my 
community. And it's so nice. And I feel like humans in general need to feel like they're in a circle of some kind, whether it's your family or it's your club or it's your, you know, knitting group or it's like, and (laughs) and music does that for me. And, And that's why your story is also so interesting is because I think it's not only about validation. It's about like feeling like you people understand you and you're totally. sharing something. And that's yeah. so important to feel like you can share things, parts of you and, and get parts of other people at the same time. That's just, yeah, a wonderful feeling. I love this line from Sad Girl. I wrote the week you left. I got an album from this fucking mess. Yeah. <laughs> Give us the tea. Give us the tea. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. It's I um I wrote Sad Girl when I was feeling really sad and um I was it's it's obviously like a sassy line because it's like, you know, like maybe you left me, but at least like I got a fucking album and it's dope and I love it and you know, um <laughs> but that's exactly what it's about. Um and uh I write music when I feel sad and I write music when I feel happy and I but in this particular song it was definitely like yeah it's about how sometimes good things come out of trauma and it's kind of what this even what this podcast is all about I guess and you know growing from these things does he she they know (laughs) that this song is about them I wonder. I wonder if he knows. I'm not I don't I don't think so. I don't think I'm gonna tell him. That would be too satisfying for him. <laughs> really? No, I feel like it'd be like the biggest fuck you to him because he's, you know, eating Doritos on his couch and you're <laughs> killing it. I mean, I'd rather he thought that he didn't mean enough to me, oh, you know, for I me to write to, to write a song about him. That's a big. Oh, I feel we're like still that's at a bigger that stage, Charlotte. We're I mean, yeah, that. I feel like that's a bigger fuck you than you know. You, this this was this wasn't meaningful enough for me to even write a song about it. So yeah, <laughs> I hear. I also hear playing at Koi. I've been there too. Do there regularly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Um, <laughs> you've said the most personal song on the album is Sun Goes Down about yes. a friend of yours who struggled with depression and addiction. Could you talk a little bit about the story behind that? Yeah. I had a friend a few years ago and he's still one of my really good friends and he's doing much better now, which is, so it's a happy ending. We like the update. We like the update. This is important. (laughs) Um, But he was struggling with depression and addiction and anxiety. And it's really um, challenging as a friend to know that a friend of yours is, is, you know, dealing with these things because you feel powerless and you feel like you don't even know what to do because sometimes when it gets into like self-destruction mode, it's like there's not that much you can do. And a lot of people wrote me about this song um, after because I feel like whether you are that person who like struggles with all these things or you are someone, you know, who knows someone struggling Mm. with these things. Everyone has someone in their close circle or is that person um, who's just like dealing with mental health issues. And and it's, I just find that it's really important that that people are talking about it more and more and and being able to share these stories because I have dealt with um, depression in the past and with really dark phases of my life. And and I felt like I really needed to write a song about those things because it has been a big part of my life, whether I've been going through them or people around me have. So, yeah. What did the depression look like for you when you were going through it? Um, it's really strange because I completely um, forgot a big part of it. It's like mm-hmm. I try to remember that part of my life. I was really young. I was 13 when I went uh, through depression. And, um, you know, seeing a therapist completely changed my life after that. Um, but but I try to remember parts of it and I can't for a big part of it. But I just remember feeling absolutely nothing. 
And that Mm. was the scariest feeling ever because I felt no passion, no love, no drive of any sort. I just felt completely numb. And like, even like now talking about it is like, it's still so scary to me that that can happen because I'm also someone who lives her emotions like 150% and knowing that that's something that can happen is Mm -hmm. just like terrifying. I so get that. I I went through a part of my life as well where I had, it was a mix of absolute debilitating anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. where I felt nothing. And I, everything you just said, I echo so sincerely. The idea that my mind could even go there then that I could go back. And I haven't gone back since I was 24, but that is always kind of in the suburbs of my mind to some extent. And I, I completely agree. And I think anyone who has dealt with depression before is forever changed after that because you can't, I don't think like if you've never gone through something like that, it's like even like, hard to understand that that can happen. Um, Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just such a scary part of my life. And I feel like, but I, but looking back, I'm like, even as terrifying as it was, I feel grateful that I went through that at a young age because Mm -hmm. I think I had to grow up really fast in a lot of ways in order to just like go on with life. And I feel like I've built tools inside of me, um, that I wouldn't have if if I hadn't gone through that. But it's obviously something I wish to no one. Um, yeah. But, you know, I guess like looking back, I, I see that it has changed me in really important ways. And I also think at that time, music became a more important part of my life. And I think um, it definitely has something to do with it. That was kind of my way of, of processing certain things that I didn't know how to process. So mm-hmm. what tricks did you pick up, if anything, that you've applied for when those thoughts come back into your head? Um, The one thing I've, that helps me the most to this day is that whenever I start feeling anxious, which I feel often, (laughs) but, um, but even like when I start feeling a little bit depressed or, 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 you know, start struggling a little bit more is I just focus on things that make me feel good about myself. And that, that for me is, you know, music, but it's, mm-hmm. I, 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 it's just about me focusing on my passions. At one point I was into like drawing and painting and I've never wanted to be, you know, a visual artist, but that's something that really made me feel good. Um, and last year during the pandemic, I was feeling really lost and, and kind of, you know, had to push back the release of the album and I was feeling mm-hmm. really anxious about a lot of things and just painting, but just for fun. Like it's yeah. not, I'm not even like good at it, but it's just something that makes me feel good. And I think, um, yeah, focusing on my passions is the one and basically the one and only thing that comforts me. And obviously like reaching out to to family and, and having mm-hmm. people, you know, support me, but but in a more like personal way, Focusing on my passions is really the one thing that is like a safe space for me. And and that comes with writing music and playing music and doing these things that make me feel like I am important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you also on the painting and the drawing. When I was going through my shit when I was 24, I started making collages and the things that would come out of me that I would see on the page right were yes oh. were like somewhere north of petrifying but also so cathartic that you know I was like whatever was in me that caused this mental distress clearly had to get out of me absolutely and and you kind of you can tell that your subconscious sometimes is just mm. more awake than your, you know, your actual rational thinking. And, totally. that's, and that that's what art does in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. But yeah, that's crazy about the collages. Do you still have them? I do. And I still make them sometimes. And every single time I am 
in a perpetual state of shock upon completion because I see things that I didn't know I thought, honestly. Wow. Yeah. Do you ever have that with your drawing? I mean, I'm. I don't think I'm even like good enough to. F- so I usually just <laughs> it's do like. Not about talent. I, I it's try about to like throwing not, up on the page, you know. Exactly, <laughs> but it's like there's something about the drawings that I make that are very. It's like a meditation because I like taking a picture and trying to recreate it as closely as possible, and so it's just about like concentrating mm. on something that gets my mind off other things. So that yeah. that to me, it's more of a like meditation than like, oh my God, like I'm just like throwing something on paper. But I feel that with music. Um, mm, so mm-hmm. I'll just start writing a song and and throw random words and not even know what I'm singing about. And then like take a step back and be like, oh wow, like I just wrote this like crazy, like dark song mm-hmm. and I 100% relate to it, but I didn't even know what I was really writing about at the you know, at the specific moment where I was writing. So it's like crazy to let your subconscious do the work for you and kind of take a look back and realize certain things. But that's so helpful to me in in my everyday life. That's just, it's been saving me basically. Last question. What drives you? So... The one thing that drives me the most is music, um, mm-hmm. obviously, and and just, you know, wanting to share it and make it and create it and experience, you know, everything that comes with music. Um, and the second thing that drives me is food. Because I love, I love, <laughs> I love food. And I feel like everything I do in my life is either... So let me put it this way. I feel like Every single decision I make in my life is either for music, for food, or for family. And that's it. Those are the three things that drive me. And family, like I include my friends, but that's kind of like, it's the three, my three passions are music, food, and, you know, the people I love. And so that's kind of, um, yeah, the only decision, all the decisions I make are about those three things. That's a wonderful (laughs) answer. And I'm so happy you included food because... It's so funny. I was just talking to a friend of mine who's a food blogger and she's like Dream a successful job. one. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> you, you get to, you know, try all the things under Eat. the sun. But you know what's so funny? She said to me, she goes, I was like, you know, like, what is it about it that makes you keep doing this? And she says, because I know I'll be happy at least three times a day. Oh my God, that is the best answer ever. But that's Isn't it exact- brilliant. <gasps> it's brilliant, but that's exactly how I feel about food. And it's like, you know. it makes me so happy to eat good things and cook wonderful meals. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, a big thing for me during the pandemic. I had time to cook for the first time in such a long time because I wasn't touring. I wasn't like in a van all day or mm-hmm. at a venue. Like, And that was just so wonderful to me and... and yeah, it's just food has something so like beautiful and sensual about it. And wow, I, I'm very passionate about food. And I guess that's also why, you know, the modeling industry was never a fit for me because, you know, I can't count not almonds. It's enjoy, awful. You know, it's like yeah. I, I will never like be able food. to count my, you know, calories. Or, that's just not. No, Sam, I pour literally an entire bottle of olive oil on anything that I consume. <laughs> at least like just straight 4, up in a glass, you know. <laughs> I drink it if I could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so those are the three things that drive me for sure. That, my friends, was Charlotte Galdin. You can follow her on Instagram at Charlotte Galdin. That's C-A-R-D-I-N for anyone who cannot decipher my flawless French accent for whatever reason. And you can follow me at Gillian Zagansky. I always want to hear your thoughts on this episode, every episode, all of the things. So DM me comments, questions, etc. I am going to drown my next meal in olive oil because for some reason I'm suddenly hungry. Until next time. <laughs>